Okay, welcome to this special edition of the McCovey Croncast. Joining us, joining me and Doug, that is, is Roger Munter. Roger from Minor Lines, the site, McCoveyChronicles.com. That's why you want to know what he has to say. Instead of waiting for his written post, you can get him verbally, orally right now through your ears. He's going to tell us about the decimated barren wasteland that is the Giants farm system. Roger, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So the I can't Giants wait to talk about barren wastelands. So the Giants are uh, the Mad Max uh, of farm systems. They're a sinkhole in which the Titanic fell into and the Hindenburg. Uh, it's like the end of the new Ghostbusters movie. It's just this portal of death and evil, <laughs> right? But Mad Max was a good movie, so that must mean something good is there, right? Well, everyone likes to look at horror. And, and and enjoy the fact that they're not a part of it. They like to watch it from a distance. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they are not the Mad Max of the baseball world. That would be more like the Angels, probably. Um, they're not one of the really, really, really terrible systems, but they are pretty thin, and they certainly went through some changes this year, for sure. Yes, they went through changes worse than, say, puberty or something. It's like puberty <laughs> during a divorce. So their body's changing and then things. So basically, midseason, their top 10 prospect list, as Baseball America indicated, three of those players, including the number one uh, player, are all gone from Major League yes. Baseball. They no longer exist because the Giants had to... <laughs> get rid of them in order to lose in historic fashion in the playoffs. That's right. <laughs> that they did. So Well, they did, ex, but ex, let's take into ex, account, ex, it, gives, it gives them a better chance to lose in historic fashion in the playoffs next year. So <laughs> in that sense, it was really, a, those trades were really successful. So a quick Excellent point. Yes. That, Doug, you're always uh, with, the, with the best perspective here. Uh, let's do a quick rundown of the top 10 at the time. This is July 13th. Phil Bickford was number one, Tyler Beatty number two, Christian Arroyo three, Chris Shaw four, Adalberto Mejia at five, Sam Coonrod at six, Andrew Suarez at seven, Lucius Fox at eight, uh, nine, Joan Gregorio or Joan Gregorio, and ten is I believe it's Joan. Joan Gregorio. uh, Joan with your bad self. Juan Gregorio? Eh. All right. Steven Dugar, uh, number ten. That was the top 10 prospect list. And now it is just Jarrett Parker and a bag of pretzels. <laughs> <laughs> and Jarrett Parker can't even be on the list because he's graduated. That's right. Uh, so and you can you can pile on there, too, and note that uh, Andrew Suzak was their number one prospect. Uh, was it the year before or two years ago? Who was also included in those trades? So you can make them sound even worse if you would like to. So we know what all, the br- that Matt Duffy was in those, one of those trades. So, yes. Fun. That's right. Who was an actual good player as opposed to a high prospect. So, yeah, so we know what the what the Brewers' plan was all along. Just wait to see who the number one picks in the Giants' system were uh, <laughs> and, pluck, and, and basically get them to give away their low-leverage left-handed reliever. We can get into that in a minute, but, you know, you look at the system, and I think everyone at the time, including all three of us when we talked about it, you know, the Giants gave up a lot, but it wasn't in such a way that it was uh, they've hobbled themselves forever. But uh, the, how, did the end of the, how did the season essentially end for what they had? And were there any surprises for the people left on the list? And did anyone really open eyes to get on that list? Um, yeah, well, I would say 
there are a few people who opened eyes, and one of the best things, so they traded away their midseason number one prospect in Bigford. Uh, but the second half was just huge success for Tyler Beatty, who hmm. it's quite quite possible would have established himself as the number one prospect in the system even had they not made those trades because his second half was a was a real success in almost every way it could be. He had a, a small blip after the All-Star game where he had a couple bad starts, but then he just really plowed through August, and he ended up, I believe, second in the Eastern League in strikeouts by one or two strikeouts, which was a big thing because, of course, last year he that's what everyone who knocked him knocked him for, that he wasn't missing bats. And he was also, I believe, the league leader in ERA. Um, and he, he piled up innings. He he shows the velocity he had in college on his four seam. He was mixing four pitches really effectively, and he looked like a, a really, really good pitching prospect in double A by the end of the year. Um, so I would say that's the, the number one takeaway for good things that happened in the second half of the season. Uh, there were also some some pretty big. Steve Duggar, who you noted was uh, at the beginning of the year. I, I don't even know if he was on. I think he was in the prospect handbook, but way in the low 20s. And then his colleague first half was tremendous. And his uh, Eastern League second half was possibly even better, although he didn't show much power, but I don't think he's going to be a power guy. But he moved to center. He hit about 330 in A in his first full season. Uh, he played a pretty decent center field. He, you know, he's a guy who's always been kind of toolsy. Scouts get frustrated because he doesn't hit for power even though he has power and he doesn't steal bases, even though he has speed. But the things he does do are pretty impressive, which is play a decent center field, get on base, walk a lot, and make contact. Um, so those are two big ones. I, we probably want to talk a little bit longer about Christian Arroyo because he may be a uh, – there will be a lot of different interpretations as to what to make of his 2016, I would suspect. Well, in um, terms of Ducker, I want to say that except for the walks, that sounds like the perfect Giants player. <laughs> Uh, has yeah, tools, doesn't I, use them, and doesn't have any power. <laughs> yeah, he's an interesting fellow. I think he's the kind of guy that has always gotten a little bit of a, a rap from scouts because they want him to do more. But he may be one of those guys where if you kind of see him for what he is, he's productive. And if you want something that he isn't, you'll always be frustrated out of him. Um, but he's certainly an interesting guy. Um and I guess the other thing about the second half is that they got some extremely productive uh, pro-season debuts from several members of the draft class, um, particularly the top two outfielders, Brian Reynolds and, and Heath Quinn, were both both tremendous. Heath Quinn actually was the Baseball America's short-season ball player of the year. Um, he was really good, and, and Reynolds, both of them were, ended up in uh, San Jose in the San Jose playoffs, the Cali playoffs, actually. Uh, they were both tremendous pro debuts, and I would say one of the interesting things, if people kind of don't know a lot about the giant system, one of the interesting things that happened this year was outfield, which has always been a wasteland in their system, is maybe the deepest position they have in the system right now. Get out of town. Log it's off a right now. Weird. How dare you? How <laughs> That is offensive. It's weird and unnerving. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of outfielders, <laughs> when do you think Austin Slater is going to be the World Series MVP? Like 2018, 2019? <laughs> what, are, what are we looking at here? Could we rock the world and have it be like 2019? It'd be an odd year. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I, Austin Slater is an interesting character, isn't he? He had a tremendous 2016. He just hit everything and hit everything really, really hard. And then when he got to the PCL, PCL he started hitting everything out of the out of the stadium. Although it remains to be seen whether that's PCL power or an actual manifestation of his ability to hit the ball hard. But uh, feels like it should guy, just be that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just always he's always been contact oriented, and he is a very much line drive hitter. And um, really, his entire pro career has been a lot of loud contact. Whether what that profiles at in the major leagues, I think it's still unclear because you know he's not a real standout defensive player anywhere. Although he can do everything kind of okay. Um, he's not a speed guy. He's not a power guy, but he is, he's a, kind of a giancy guy. He's sort of a, you know, the Matt Duffy of outfielders maybe, but he, <laughs> he makes a lot of loud contact is what he does. And he was making really loud contact in the PCL this year. Well, that's a very ungiancy trait, uh, loud contact. So that would be encouraging if that was, <laughs> if that was what he wound up doing, <laughs> if he graduated to the big leagues. I mean, we suffered through three months, Roger, of of the sound of like pixie dust coming out of the packaging, or just little taps. <laughs> yes, we were not uh, tearing up the ESPN hard contact leaderboards this year. No. I'm pretty sure opening soda cans had was louder contact <laughs> than a lot of the Giants in the second half. Um, so, okay, so Brian Reynolds, I, I guess I want to kind of go back to in terms of. Did, did you get a chance to see him or did you hear anything like that kind of, I mean, he's, he's an exciting guy. And I remember us talking about him, that the giants were basically very fortunate to get him in that sense. Like he, he projected to be a really good player. And, and uh, so that's an encouraging start, I guess, if they're already kind of using him for their playoffs uh, in this first half season. Yeah. So he and he and Quinn and actually another guy uh, who, was drafted a little lower down, Gio Brusa from UOP. Um, all went to Salem Kaiser this year, and they all had very strong debuts. Reynolds got moved up to Augusta near the end of the year and then to San Jose for just the playoffs. Um, I, I saw a very little of him, unfortunately. The teams, neither of the teams that he was on do a lot of televising and are far from me. Uh, but I caught a few glimpses of him. Scouts really, really like Brian Reynolds, and there's a lot of things to like about him. The only thing not to like about him, if you're a nervous type, is he tends to run up a lot of strikeouts. Um, but he has hit everywhere he's been. He hit at Vanderbilt. He hit in TM USA international competitions. Um, he hit well over 300 in his pro debut. He's a switch hitter. He hits for power from both sides, not eye-popping power. Uh, but he has a power bat from both sides. I guess the other thing too is, if he if he if he falls short in some at some point in his development, it's going to be because it turned out he was a tweener that he wasn't quite fast enough to be a true center fielder, and he wasn't quite powerful enough to be a corner outfielder. But you know, for right now, he's a guy that turns a lot of scouting heads because he does a lot of things well. He's well, he's, he's that profile. The uh, the strikeouts certainly interesting. He's uh, an Augusta three to one strikeout, twenty strikeouts, three walks. 
And then in the short season, Salem Kaiser is forty. He was four to one strikeouts. He had forty one strikeouts and eleven walks. So that's uh, in seventy six games. He struck out sixty one times. Uh, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and uh, or fifty six games. He struck out sixty one times. So you know that's uh, Brian's bad at math. But then Brian Reynolds is bad <laughs> at contact sometimes. So there we go. <laughs> He uh, he struck out in college too, but he's always hit for a high average, which is somewhat strange. You would think that the contact at some point is going to kill that, uh, you know, bring it down somewhat. It hasn't yet, um, but like I say, he's always going to be a guy who gets by because he does lots of things well. I think rather than anything great. So, what that profile is at in the long run, uh, we will wait and see. So Slater and uh, and Beatty are both 23, and in fact, Slater's turning 24 uh, before this year ends, um, and Beatty will cross over into that uh, in May of 20 of 2017. So yeah. I guess I'm just trying. I guess I'm thinking, you know, those are two age ranges where it's maybe it's time to push a little bit, or maybe perhaps, and even Brian Reynolds is going to be turning. 22 uh, 22 right when this when the year starts so uh i guess my thought is are, are these newer is the giants uh, organizational philosophy still going to be the same or in terms of like just kind of let these things play out or do you anticipate at least in and in, in one of those three guys some sort of let's push them a little bit and see if anything happens or do you just think that they're not really wanting to do that i think that they have shown a distinct transition over the last two, three years to where they are pushing people. I mean, they've always been an organization that would, you know, the big guys, they would move them really fast. Uh, You know, obviously Bumgarner, Posey, those guys moved fast. But they were slow played a lot of guys. But the last couple years, it seems to me, they have made aggressive promotions um, lots of people have reached double A in their first full season in the last two years. Um, you know, BD did that this year, Shaw, Duggar and Hinojosa all did that. Um, last year there were three that did that as well. They have been, and actually Austin Slater is from the, uh, is spent half a year in triple A and this was only his second full season. Uh, Hunter Cole was another guy who moved all the way up to double A in his first full season. So they have been pushing people aggressively. And I know the, the, the farm director mentioned that um, last winter, I remember hearing him say that they've really changed their philosophy from, um, from don't push a guy too hard to don't get in a guy's way if he's, if he's moving. So, I don't know if that's directly related to what's going on at the top or if it's just a, a change in the industry. But, you know, certainly with this is and you talk about people's age this winter, uh, Posey and Crawford both turn 30 before next spring training. Yeah. And I think I think Nunez does, too. So they're going to take the field next opening day with more than half a starting lineup that's on the wrong side of 30. So injecting some youth into that lineup somewhere is definitely got to be a priority, I would think, for him at some point. It's a crazy, it's a crazy time where we're looking at <laughs> a lot of these players hitting thirty suddenly, and uh, you know Buster Posey being a catcher. You can now you have to start kind of grimacing 
every time he's out there and he doesn't get right. or he doesn't get a couple of days off after a week or two. Now you're really feeling it. Um, and it's clearly a young man's game these days. I mean, yeah. the Cubs just beat Kershaw the other day, and five or six of their players were 24 and under. Yeah. So I guess the big question is, uh, then I guess we'll go to the the, the Golden Goose is that, or the <laughs> the big guy Christian Arroyo. That's sort of the the mystery uh, person. He's he's probably the reason why Matt Duffy was ultimately considered to be expendable. Um, yeah, <laughs> and and he's an interesting fella. He doesn't wear batting gloves either, I believe. Which I'm not a not a fan of, even though I was proven completely wrong uh, about the uh, the efficacy or the usefulness of that, the utility of that. So uh, yeah, we could definitely talk about what. But we is he a nice? Do you, how much, like? Do you know? Is he a nice guy? Does he have a funny voice? Was he? He is. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. He is, and I think this is part of. I really think this is part of why the Giants like him a lot he's he's a a very high energy kid he's uh he sits on the rail and talks a lot he he's a chirper um and i i think the giants value that i I've, I've always thought that with with hunter pence and they probably want somebody like that in the in the dugout when when pence starts transitioning out the kind of guy who's go 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 and yap 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 and uh that's always been my impression of arroyo is that he's he's a high motor guy um, so I don't know if that's nice or, or oh, I think or, it's great. I mean, it's baseball. Yeah, it's baseball <laughs> nice. I mean, I think a personality for the Giants is is important because Hunter Pence is going to miss a hundred games every year essentially, and so you're not going to have that motor in the clubhouse. And it'd be nice to have someone around who could. Yeah, and a lot of their core guys are very are have the laid back, calm persona. So it is good to have somebody like that, and you need to inject some energy. I mean, right? How much of this last season did they just look tired? Yeah, um, the entire so season think, basically. Even when they were yeah. winning, it still looked like they were just like, "Oh, fine, I'll I'll hit the ball." <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> So yes. Uh, all right. Well, that's good. I didn't. I didn't have any sense of who he was, like personality-wise, his player persona. I guess you would say, but uh, the talent is obviously the, the the big thing. And this guy, I, I think we talked about this. You can you can see him playing third base. It's not it's not out of the realm of possibility. No, I thought he was actually. Uh, I I saw him play third. I think more than any other position in, in the games I watched this year. And I I actually thought he looked really good there. He had good actions. He's always had good hands, and he has pretty good instincts. Um, it was mostly his range that was a problem. He has, a, as he has a fine arm, so I could definitely see him at third. Um, I'm hearing Bill Miller here in this comp. <laughs> <laughs> well, except that if you look at Bill Miller's minor league numbers, his walk to K ratios were insane. I mean, yeah. he was like he had like two to one seasons. Of well, Bill games. Miller was sort of always, at least initially, it was always sort of seemed like he was miscast as a third baseman, right? But he, right, he sort of played. Yeah. He played through that perception, improved people. I, I mean, it wasn't like people were saying he shouldn't be there, but just like ah, he's probably not the best, and he was fine. Well, they said he doesn't have the power for the for the corner, well, right, and, right, right. and and particularly in that era. And that's a question with Arroyo too. I mean, he so on the good side. One, he was, the, I think, the second youngest position player in the Eastern League this year. And he absolutely held his own. 
Um, and he did, never really looked overmatched. He's over aggressive somewhat, but uh, but he was, I think, second in the league in doubles, which oh. is good. He yeah, only hit great. three home runs. Not as good. Um, <laughs> so where the power kind of finds its level with him will be a question. And I think whether he can hone his, uh, his approach, uh, because he tends to be very swing first kind of player. Uh, so he doesn't walk that much either. And I, I mentioned this on minor lines a few times this year. If you look at his splits, when he was ahead in the count, he destroyed people. When he was behind in the count, he had almost no chance of getting on base. So finding a, a, a balance between his natural aggressiveness and his desire to hunt fastballs and having a bad approach is probably going to be the big tell on where his career grows, I think. Yeah, but if someone like Javier Baez can sort of rein that in too, it's not impossible. I mean, Javier Baez got to the major leagues and that was essentially what was his deal. Uh, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm not trying to make a one-to-one comparison here, but that seems like you know you've got these aggressive young hitters. That seems to be something that, that a lot, you know it's it's the risk reward of all that. Um, Absolutely, and hit the ball you can hit. Do damage on the yeah. ball you can do damage is a, is always a good approach to hitting. Right. And I, I think Arroyo is in a way it's it's funny how tight he is now to Matt Duffy, but I think you know a best case. Christian Royo is going to be something like, you know, Matt rookie or Matt Duffy. That's what yeah. we're looking for him to become. Um, he doesn't have to be a huge power hitter. He has to be a, a really good defensive player who is also a really good contact player and can do some damage on, on the pitches he likes. Could so w- he would, you, would, would you expect for um, – because Arroyo didn't have a ton of power this year. Like you mentioned, three home runs, hit a lot of doubles with three home runs. Would you expect a lot more of that power to come in the future as, as he fills out more? Because, you know, when he started the year, he was a 20-year-old in Richmond. Yeah. And that's, that's not, you know, he's not fully developed in, in any respect, and especially with regards to muscle. So would you expect some of those outs to become doubles and some of the doubles to become homers? So I, I think in general with a young player, you expect that in the majors. Um, you know, Francisco Lindor gets to the majors and suddenly hits home runs. Uh, and there are things that make it easier to hit home runs in the majors. You're, you're facing harder stuff. The bats are harder. The balls are harder. Um, his swing is not particularly geared to power. Uh, he tends to his swing hit off his front foot a little bit, and he doesn't have a lot of lift in his swing. But his doubles were not, like, by and large, ground balls past the third baseman. He, he stung balls off the, off the wall a lot. So I kind of think yes, but I don't think, you know, we'll see a different power profile at the top. But if he's like a 10 to 12, if he turns into like Joe Panic, that would be a great outcome for him, I'd say. Yeah. And I think AT&T Park helps right-handed power of any kind. Um, yeah. And playing Colorado, if you were to play a full season, he'd get those Colorado games. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he's going to be a three-homer Guy in the majors, probably, when he gets into his mid-20s. Doug, do you have another question specifically about Christian Oreo? Otherwise, I'm going to jump this route right here. I I do not, and I also don't appreciate the football metaphor. (laughs) I apologize, but it works here. I'm I'm just kind of amped to ask it because the Giants gave away so much, well, traded away so much, and they basically made marginal, incremental improvements 
which were which is fine. I mean, it's a tough market, free agency trading, etc. We all know that. Reasonable people understand that. But the big thing that they really needed, they were not able to get. And now, you know, if the trade was Joe Panic for Andrew Miller, which, haha, maybe that was still the Yankees being like, you're going to do it? Ha, we're still not going to make that trade. We just wanted to screw with you. My question still is, could Christian Arroyo play second base? Um, yeah, I have like six answers for that question. I have to figure <laughs> out which one I want. Yeah, I, I don't – I'm – Christian Royal played a decent amount of second base, not nearly as much as third base this year. I think he's fine. I think he maybe would still run into a little bit of the range problem, um, but it's not the same as shortstop. I think he would be able to play second base. Um, but I have to say the whole Joe Panic for Andrew Miller thing, um, what I've heard much more often from people, and in fact I was just listening to the, the Alex Pavlovich's um, Last podcast. You can't mention the competition. I'm sorry. We're going to have to cut sorry this about short. That. Thanks, Roger. No, 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 no. We need to live on this. We need actual information here. <laughs> well, what he and, and Ray Rado kept saying was that, in fact, the, the Yankees never made a demand of the of the Giants that they that they more or less just ignored make him. the call. Yeah. yeah. They wouldn't call him back and uh, the GM wouldn't get on the phone. And they just said, you don't have it. What we want, you don't have. And they didn't yeah. really even give the Giants a chance to overpay. And that's kind of an interesting prospect thing, too, because, you know, there's certainly an, a real-world outcome where Christian Arroyo is a better major league player than Glaber Torres. You know, Glaber Torres moves a second, the power doesn't come the way people think, blah, 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 and Arroyo is a great player. But there isn't a world in which Christian Arroyo is a better prospect asset than Glaber Torres. And that is something that harms the Giants because the players the Giants know that they can develop aren't always the same as the kind of profile that the industry values, which is much more athletic, kind of dynamic, hobby bias sort of players. Um, and the Giants don't tend to have a lot of those guys. Uh, and that hurts them when they try and go out on the trade market and get the big guys. Or they and trade yeah. them for Matt Moore. <laughs> well... <laughs> You know, Matt Duffy. So Matt well, Duffy, I was going with Fox. I was thinking Fox as more of the industry darling type yeah. that you were mentioning. Yeah, yeah, and even he's probably not. It, they sort of traded low on Lucius Fox because he hadn't had a chance to really show off the dynamic athleticism yet. Um, but he was one of those guys. He was the only thing they really had in the system that was like that kind of profile. I, I would agree with that. But yeah, I mean, it was obvious, I think, to the Giants, it was probably obvious to everybody that Andrew Miller would have made a difference on that team. They didn't have what the, the type of asset the industry values in that trade. So then, I, I mean, I do want to talk about this now a little bit, because certainly since the season has ended, what's leaked out, or I guess has come out, is sort of the Giants viewed Will Smith as a low leverage reliever. And and so it makes the trade uh, all the more curious, I feel like. Uh, well, so I heard together. Buster only say that. Uh, I don't – and that I, that's the only place where I think I heard it. And you always wonder about national guys is how close they really are to them. But Buster only is a pretty legit baseball insider source. And he definitely said that on his podcast that the, the day after, you know, this game – 
the day after the, the loss of the Cubs. He said that they went to Javi Lopez against Rizzo, which in my opinion was where that inning went off the rails, instead of Smith because they had they thought Smith was a better low-leverage guy than a high-leverage guy. I don't know if they thought that before they traded, but they seemed this coaching staff apparently, according to Buster Olney again, had gotten that feeling of him over the course of September. Um, I don't know. I thought Smith looked great all of September, uh, but I think I'm yeah, I would agree. Field. I would say he started off pretty rocky and like a completely unusable player, and then yeah. the last month of the season, he really sort of kicked it into gear. It still was a little curious that you know one of you know they have, the Giants have two really interesting players from a stats observation viewpoint only that they still don't indulge in in any way. That being that they don't have, in the case of Will Smith, the, he sort of has that reverse platoon split, right? Right, uh, right. And then, and, and then Mac Williamson sort of, he's never really, he sort of has a reverse platoon split as well, uh, or he hasn't really struggled against righties in his career either. And I just think it's interesting that the Giants, who we know are, are, are they they used advanced statistics. They've been burned by the matchups and the defensive shifts. That I think that you know, kind of ironically, this year that they you know that uh, sort of viewed as an old school franchise, they're not. We know that, but they got burned by some new school stuff just by happenstance. Yeah. And then in the case of uh, these reverse platoon splits, which I think is a useful thing uh, to know, they they didn't indulge that in any way. And I and Smith seems like. If you're going to give up that much to get in, that's sort of the extra value for him. Yeah, and I certainly hope they use him that way next year. I mean, it, it a lot of the second half of the season seemed to me to be revolving around Boshi not knowing who he could trust or not feeling trust for a lot of people on the team. Uh, at least that was, that was my feeling watching the team. And that, that ninth inning, you know, he went to – a guy who'd done it for him for many years and he trusted. And probably that was a mistake. The last, at yeah, least the last time he'll ever play in the big leagues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so hold on. Next year. One? <laughs> I was thinking Lopez. No, yeah. me too. I was just, just making a fun joke about Sergio yeah. Romo, who yeah. I don't yeah. mention a lot, but has blocked me on Twitter. Yeah. I think Romo uh, might be done too. I could certainly see a scenario where Romo, Casilla, and Javier Lopez never pitch in the major leagues again. That doesn't seem unusual. I mean, I'm sure Romo and Casilla are going to get. If the Giants don't just bring Romo back, you know, I, I can certainly see them getting at least you know going to spring training. But you know, Casilla's 36. He's going to be 37. Uh, and he literally looked like he forgot how to play baseball, which. Is joking. I'm saying it jokingly, but you know, we're also you know, when you're 36, 37, um, you know, getting older is not a is not a fun process. So that's true. So you know, th- your balance goes. Things happen that are different, that are sort of out of your control. Who knows what's going on with him? I don't know. But he certainly didn't look like a major league baseball player from certainly from ju- the end of the All Star break on. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I suspect to see it does but i worry i wonder about romo because he was i mean he spent a lot of the year not playing he was on the dl for a long time and then when they finally got it back he was he was pretty inconsistent with the with the slider so you know he's thrown like a trillion sliders in his life that's that takes a toll on you so 
I guess my my big uh, the big bow to put on all this is sort of. I will try to tie the major leagues into the minor leagues here. You know, you mentioned Bochi not being, not knowing who to trust. And Doug, I'm just stealing this from you completely, but I'm going to credit you right now. Doug says <laughs> that the part of that problem that you mentioned was that Bochi didn't take the time at any point in the season to let guys fail and, and essentially work through it. And I wonder if you, you know, watching minor league baseball all the time, I mean, that's a huge component of of getting these guys ready. Do you think that that's going like is that going to have any bearing on the major league roster if they're going to enter the season with sort of the same type of bullpen which is like let's just cross our fingers and fix it on uh, during the season? Yeah, uh, that I don't have an answer for you except to say that I think this is kind of the fascinating part of the off season. I mean, so we're saying they're getting older. The, this is a team with an aging core that needs to get young. Do they make the choice to let Mac Williamson go out there and fail a little bit next year and be their left fielder? Or do they say, well, we've only got one more year at Johnny Cueto. Everyone's getting older. We need to take care of this year first and you know, fork over the money for yet another 30-something-year-old bat to take over left field. I think certainly... Personally, I would like the first thing. I would like to stick Mac out there and say, go through some growing pains. And I kind of agree. I mean, Doug's certainly got a good point. There, maybe he let Josh Oshage fail a good bit last year, yeah. more than I would have liked to see. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you have to let people fail a little bit. That's the hard part about being a prospect on a contending team. But the Dodgers were running all rookie lineups out there all September and it didn't seem to hurt them that much well they have better prospects <laughs> I mean one of their prospects was working a checkout line for a grocery store last year so, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah and I, I mean you're mentioning Mac and I, I certainly that's what I would prefer the Giants do and certainly it seems like between you know the increasing dissipation of Denard Span as a as an organism in this reality, um, you know they're going to need, you know there's going to be opportunities for backups to to play a lot. The Giants got lucky sort of in May where they had all those injuries and they whatever random ex top prospects from other organizations they plugged in sort of worked out and then all those guys got hurt so they couldn't bring them back later. But uh, you know. You know, I, I guess I was my question was aimed more towards that bullpen. You know, Derek Law, or I guess in the case we didn't even mention Ty Block really, who really Ty Block, surprised. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, Jake Peavy's gone. Uh, Matt Cain is a, a non-factor, and so you know you've got these rotation spots. You've got some middle softiness in the bullpen. I don't see them bumping George Contos up to more of a, you know, more of that high leverage role. I'm not a believer in George Contos as the high leverage guy, but I mean, I certainly see his utility. And if he and Will Smith are sort of the low leverage quality arms, then there's your sixth inning, seventh inning, maybe. And then, you know, is law really an answer towards the end of the game? He seems like a guy who should get the shot to, to, you know, see if he can come back from the arm problems and, and be solid. But yeah. uh, every, everywhere else, I mean, I mean Beattie's going to have to come up next this season is what I'm saying. And I'm like, they're just going to have to 
kind of Bumgarner and Lincecum through it, like when he yeah. struggles, see if he can pull it out. Well, and they're also going to figure out, have to figure out the whole Okart, Okart, Osage thing. It's like, which one of these guys is ever going to be consistently trustworthy? Um, I know Osage uh, had off-season knee surgery, and I, you know, that could certainly play a part in how terrible his control was last year. So we'll see if that He's helps. He's really him. following that Jeremy Affelt level. <laughs> yes, I see it. <laughs> you know, the thing about Derek Law, Derek Law, who I, I love to death, and he has great, great stuff. Um, he has a – so he was a guy, like, in high school. And the thing that has always been on his scouting report is that scouts don't trust that his – his body can hold up to the delivery because it's a real high impact delivery. Um, and he's more or less lived up to that. He's had some DL stint in every year of his pro career. Um, and he went away from starting almost immediately. He went to JC and he was immediately a reliever. So I think the thing about law is he's got, and there's not just DL stints. There's the kind of degradation of stuff that tends to be around DL stints. So the question with him is, will he, hold up to a high leverage uh, position for full seasons for every season. He's a guy to me that I definitely want to be one of my best relievers, but I don't want him to be irreplaceable because there's always a chance that he's going to be gone for a month because it really is a high impact delivery. So I'm okay, but if, if you combine him and Ray Black, though, do you think you'll get a combined season <laughs> out of them? <laughs> So Black basically is healthy for the one month the law is not around. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> that might be that might be the go-to plan, yeah. Well, but he certainly uh, it's a guy that you build part of the bullpen around the back end. Bullpen solutions have to involve law for sure. Well, how about Gregorio converting him over or making him a little more of a, a high, higher leveragey? Contos, although I guess they would just use Contos in that situation, but uh, maybe maybe something like that, or does his stuff not really suggest a good bullpen role? I'm a big fan of Gregorio as a reliever, personally, and uh, next year is actually his final option year, so it, he's gonna he doesn't have a long time to figure out what role he is as a major leaguer if they if they keep him. Um, but I think you know he's got first he's a big 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 tall guy and he gets massive downwards plane so he's got a good hard sinker he can throw in the mid 90s and he's got a really good slider which just seems kind of made to order for a um a, you know like a seventh inning guy um i to me i think i said this actually on, on doug's uh joe biagini column the guy they have who could best become Joe Biagini is probably John Gregorio because he's got the two pitches, the two hard pitches, everything goes down, everything goes down the way, you know, it just seems like a natural fit to me. And, uh, starting or relieving versus starting, maybe that velocity goes up a little bit more because isn't he so, like a 92 guy? He's, um, he's always been a guy who wavered a lot actually. And I think that's a little bit in, natural of really tall people is that they their mechanics they, it takes them a while to kind of control their body so their mechanics can waver and when their mechanics waver their stuff wavers and that was mm -hmm. gregorio in his younger years last year not this 
so in 2015, um, he both relieved and late in the season started in Richmond. And I didn't see that there was a big bump up in velocity in relief, but he's big enough now that he can be pretty consistently in like the 93 to 95 range anyway. Um, I don't know. If, Doug, did you see him when he was in Sacramento this year? I did. I I was I was just looking to see if I ever tweeted out velocity because my memory is that he was he would sit ninety four ninety five but that could be totally wrong and so see, that's my memory too and I yeah I, think I that's my memory relief and starting either one yeah so I mean I saw him almost I think I saw him entirely as a starter and he was he was doing a good job with that he was and he in Sacramento he got a ton of strikeouts he would just give up runs anyway so. There, there is a lot there. That's that seems like kind of a classic case of guy who needs some work, but clearly has a ton of talent and potential. Yeah, he's a he's an inch taller than uh, Ubaldo Jimenez, which uh, which because you started talking about the mechanics and he's very tall. Obviously, I just started thinking about Ubaldo Jimenez, who looks like a mess, and um, and. And that's what I thought of because I've never watched Joan Gregorio pitch at all. I haven't even gone on this video to see. That's another kind of advantage of being a one inning guy as opposed to a starter, too. Exactly. And, yeah. I know, to me, that makes a lot of sense. So we'll see if that's where they go with him. So the average fan, average Jane or or Jim fan of uh, the Giants who maybe are local to Sacramento and want to go watch, uh, they're still the Rivercats, right? Uh, yes. Or there's something else. Yes. Okay, still the Rivercats. Yeah. Four more, go four watch the Rivercats. River at yeah. least. Uh, or they want to go to San Jose and watch uh, some baby giants. Or I guess two two final questions for me, and that is, what is the uh, what's the bang for your buck if you're if you're wanting to watch them, and then sort of as a fan who doesn't want to watch them but wants to feel one way or the other about the giants. How what's the what's the basically the one word or the one line description for the Giants farm system as they head into twenty seventeen? So two questions are probably pretty meaty. I I've already forgotten the first question at this point. <laughs> the first question is who's the bang for the buck in Sacramento or, or San Jose? Who who do you have to see if you're if if I'm coming to you and like Roger, I'm gonna go see a minor league game. Who where should um, I go? I go to Sacramento or San Jose? So I, I, I have to tangent for a second, and then I will answer that question. We, so oh, we, we talk all about the... <laughs> this <laughs> we, is a largely we, tangential <laughs> podcast. It works out. When you talk about the farm system, of course, we, everyone loves to talk about prospects and homegrown players and blah, 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 blah. But one thing that's certainly a big story of the Giants 2016 and, and frequently is all of those random guys from other systems that you were talking about who started the year in Sacramento's lineup and ended up helping them get as far as they did. I mean, Sacramento on opening day was was Ramon Pena and Grant Green and, of course, Connor Gillespie and Albert Suarez and Gorky Hernandez. Some of those guys were here for two weeks and helped and are gone, and some will probably be part of the 2017 Giants. And the Giants do that really, really well, and that's a part of – the farm system that is really important that we tend to skimp over a lot. So I just thought I'd take a second to note that they did so a really good like... job finding those guys this year. All right. Well, that's kind helpful. of like a preview. See what they do in the off season, picking those guys up. So 
So 2017 Sacramento is probably going to be full of a whole bunch more of those guys would be my guess. <laughs> um, but the bang for your buck to me will be San Jose because I would expect Brian Reynolds and Heath Quinn to be two-thirds of their starting outfield. And you definitely want to go see those guys. Uh, that's probably the biggest bang of those two teams. Sacramento, who's going to be in Sacramento? Well, Kristen Royal might be in Sacramento, and that's some pretty good bang for your buck, too. And Tyler Beatty should be in Sacramento. So you probably have the one and two prospects headlining that team. Uh, and those guys are going to be in San Francisco soon. So that's <laughs> that's definitely something to see. That's great. Now I've forgotten uh, the second question. <laughs> that's great. Now you do. The second question is uh, sort of what's the either one word or one line description uh, for if you were just to give one of those like ESPN either power rankings or one line description of the Giants farm system as a, as we head into 2017. Um, it's it's thin. It doesn't have elite guys, but it has a lot of potential contributors, including very close to ready potential contributors. So it's Freddie Sanchez. It could be Freddie Sanchez. <laughs> it could be. If the Giants but, I mean, had if the Giants had an organization of nothing but Freddie Sanchez's, they would be so happy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, who wouldn't? All all organizations want a bunch of Freddie Sanchez's around. <laughs> I, I'm also going to go ahead and say that I, I'm a pretty big believer in Heath Quinn. I think he could be. If there's a guy who is like impact, it may be him. Other than Chris Shaw, who's like obviously the best power hitter they have, and we forgot to mention anything about. Yeah, we but I'm a pretty big him. Heath Quinn believer. Well, what's Chris Shaw's sort of big deal? I mean, two seconds on him, I think we can take, since we didn't talk about uh, him at all. Chris Shaw, who now is their highest highest picked player from the 2015 draft, now that Bickford is gone. Um, real serious left-handed power, um, and and a, a better. I think a little better feel for hit than people tend to think. Uh, he's not going to have high averages, but he draws walks. So he'll probably be a 250 guy. Hits left-handers kind of decently okay, but real power. The, the, the Shaw thing is, of course, that he gets really tied into Brandon Belt because he can't really play anywhere but first base. So, Yeah, I'm looking at his pictures right now. Just body-wise, I'm like, well, you, I guess you can plant him at first or – you know, like cart him behind the plate, <laughs> but that's he's he is going to guy. be about his about his power bat. That's that's the value he yeah. brings, and it's a real value. Uh, the question will be how the organization figures out how to utilize it. Well, they were fine with throwing Michael Morris out in the left field for an entire season, and it more or less worked out. Um, you know, he's wow, he's going to be twenty. He just turned twenty three. Uh, yeah. So Shaw's another guy. So who's probably going next year is going to be a really big deal for him. Um, and he yeah, put in he... half a year in Double in A this year. He had a huge, huge year in in San Jose where he was really getting the kind of intentional walk treatment at the end of his time there. And they also had a huge shift that they were putting on him all the time. He had a blip when he went up to Double A and he was getting abused a little bit. But he came back with a really solid August. So. Given that he's had only one professional year or one full year to be, you know, two, three months into a double-A career, he's doing pretty well. But, yeah, he is going to be a guy who I think they're going to want to push if they can figure out how to make the playing time work out. 
All right, uh, Doug. Any any last thoughts or multi uh, part questions to tie? Yeah, Roger? I have. <laughs> so one guy who had a very strange up and down, more down than up, but still with Flash's year was Kyle Crick. And what do you see happening with him? Yikes. Because um, this year, it was better than last year, it seemed like. He did actually have stretches it, of competence. And, you know, he – what was interesting watching him – so when they put him in the bullpen last year, that was a real kind of fiasco, in part because he's worse out of the stretch than he is out of the, out of the windup. Um, Good grief. <laughs> and, but so they put him back in the rotation this year, and he did have really – nice looking starts what was kind of interesting was he wasn't throwing at the same velocity he has in the past and i think this seems to be a, a giant's thing the last few years of i think they were having him go to a two seam fastball a lot more than a four seamer um, because his, his velocity was consistently down like 93 94 instead of like 96 97 where he tends to live but he did have better control he yeah, his year his year was up and down. I've heard that the Giants liked his year. Um, he was able to kind of go out and mostly not have disaster starts, but it is really hard to figure out what to make of Kyle Crick at this point. He really has had the same kind of mechanical problems since he was in A-ball that he hasn't ever been able to fix, which is consistent landing point and having his front fly open he just has trouble repeating his motion and he also goes through long phases where he seems to forget that he has secondaries and that he really focused on this year and i think that's the best thing you can take from his 2016 is they were making him throw his breaking pitch and his change up in all counts and really utilize it where the year before he frequently looked like he forgot he had them that's kind of crazy when you consider that I know pitchers basically call their own games at every level, but still it seems kind of crazy that that doesn't get stopped after like two starts max and the manager's just like, if you want to play, you're going to do this. <laughs> you're going to do this. It's, it's, it's a very weird history with him because I know when he was in San Jose, uh, Joe Rizzo was saying that his changeup was his best pitch by the end of that year. And I was really excited to see him. He showed up in Richmond the next spring and he had no faith in the pitch at all. So I don't know. I, pitching is a strange, <laughs> there's <laughs> something strange about having confidence in your pitches. Um, but he did better on that this year. He did better throwing his breaking pitch. And uh, I don't really know what to make of Kyle Crick. I thought his breaking ball was better when he was, you know, 19 years old and, Augusta than it was at times that I've seen him in Richmond, but he still got a really big arm and a body that can absorb innings. So he's just, you just kind of hope something clicks at some point in time. It is hard to have faith that that is going to happen, but there's, you know, people say they should really drop him, <laughs> drop him from the 40 man. You hear people say, why are they keeping Crick on the 40 man? I can tell you there'd be an, uh, 29 orcs that would pick him up in a hurry if they did that. Not the Yankees. <laughs> well, they wouldn't trade Andrew Miller for him. Yeah. Well, uh, well. Also, there's just that weird thing in baseball. Like, you know, who knows what wasteland you know July of 2017 is going to be for the Giants again? Uh, you know, maybe they're fine, maybe they're not. But you know, they have to 
foist him into action, essentially. How many times have we seen in in baseball through any other teams, not just the Giants, where some prospect who is bad in the minors and they just have to sort of emergency start him, he comes up and he's fine. And it's almost like putting him in the minors was somehow detrimental to him in his development. (laughs) I'm not saying that's going to be the case here, but it just seems like... You know, you're mentioning his his very strong positives. You know, who knows? Maybe he's the guy. You know, Albert Suarez was fine in the major leagues, and and he was solid in the minors, right? And he just, you know, uh, or is this going to be Ryan Jensen? But even Ryan Jensen had his serviceable moments, but it was yeah. sort of there out of necessity. Well, I get so it's 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 like if you're trying to fix the the left-handed and the bullpen situation. Who do you really want there? Do you want Josh Osage trying to figure out how to throw with command, or do you want Ty Block living on the corner? Yeah, and that's kind of it with Kyle Crick. Kyle Crick, if he could ever figure out the mechanical things that prevent him from throwing strikes, is a obvious utilizable major league arm. Whereas other guys, you know, Clayton Blackburn, for instance, is a guy who kind of knows what he's doing, but has very little margin for error. And when hmm. the stuff degrades, as it does through the course of the year, it's probably going to get hit hard. So He gets Clayton Black burned. <laughs> They've always been tied together because they, you know, yeah. they were in the same draft class together. And they're just completely flipped coin side, flipped sides of a coin, I guess. Um, so, yeah, yeah Doug, I, I completely <laughs> avoided answering your question, which is to say I have no idea what to say about Kyle Crick. I, I just wanted the listeners out there to know nobody knows. <laughs> Feel com- you might be like, what's going on with Kyle Crick? And the reason no one talks about it is imagine a person shrugging right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and this is good that it comes <laughs> – It's good that this comes on the heels of I think two times ago that you were on where we talked about, oh – What's this perception about the Giants being miracle workers and fixing pitchers? And you're like, no, nah, they're no, they're they're fine. There's nothing special about them because certainly, if you throw this Crick issue, I, I'm sure this was talked about. Well, if anyone can fix Kyle Crick, it's the Giants, and it's everything you said has sort of been like he's got to figure out how to land, you know, repeat his delivery and and find his command and and all that. The Giants can only do so much. Uh, if he's not going to throw his secondary pitches, they can't make him. They can't stand behind him and you know throw his arm or you know reconfigure his fingers on the ball. He's got to want to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I felt bad. I remember that time, and I, I kind of felt bad when I got to the end of that answer. Like I, I had made them sound more negative than I meant to. All I really meant to say is, in the end, it's up to the pitcher to figure it out. They can do all the help they want. Uh, and on the positive side, too, did they pitch or wish for Tyler Beatty? Or, you know, they helped him find his way, but he's put in the work, and he's the one out there growing. So the credit goes to the pitcher. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Roger, thank you so much for uh, joining us this whole season. It's been it's been great. Uh, and we appreciate your insights on the site and uh, – and for making, you know, bringing some actual information to the to the podcast. I, uh, I hope so. <laughs> I, it's fun <laughs> being here, though. All right. Uh, so we can still find you on Minor Lines on the site. And uh, people can find you on Twitter at Raj, R-O-G-61, right? That is me. 
Uh, probably okay. not so much minor aligning through the winter, but I will definitely be back when spring training comes. So. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna all take a long winter from this this <laughs> tire fire of a season, and then uh, we'll come back this. with some some odd year, odd year success. <laughs> Odd year success. I like how boring that sounds. Even your even your bullshit odd year success. That's that's definitely what it, the slogan should be. All right, thanks, guys. Roger. Well, thanks very right, much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.